Radio Influence, podcasting redefined. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Sitting Ringside. My name is David Penzer, and as always, we are so happy to listen to this thing we call a podcast. And uh, hmm. oh, crazy year, man. What, what a mix of emotions in one day. We'll talk about everything. Um, you know, uh, as we're taping this is uh, Thursday. Uh, so uh, obviously yesterday was Wednesday. Wake up to the news that Pat Patterson had passed. Uh, didn't know him very well, but um, we were lucky to have him on the uh, one of the CWF fan, Legends Fan Fest that we did, which uh, he was great. And we actually booked him through our guest this week, who is a longtime friend and co-author of Pat's autobiography, Accepted, Bertrand Ebert. And... Um, so we'll be talking to him. He has some great insight into the life of Pat Patterson, both personal and, and professional. But um, but uh, work with him to bring Pat in. Pat and Jerry were our headliners and um, just were so generous. He, uh, Pat was, uh, like I said on, on Twitter, he's a lovely man, love life. And, uh, you know, got to talk to him a little bit. Got to watch him sing My Way at the end. Got to have a cocktail with him. Uh, you know, this, I, I'd say that's that's kind of cool. Uh, but you know, didn't never was involved in WWE, so obviously didn't know him like that. Um, so, but woke up to that news, and uh, let's stop it here. Let's 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 ride out to the end of 2020 without without any any more people passing. Uh, can we make that deal, folks? Uh, whoever, uh, uh, I'll make that deal with the devil. But. Uh, but yeah, that was that was sad, and um, uh, you know, as you saw, the outpouring of people that are lo- have long time been associated with WWF, WWE, the McMahon family, the WWE family. Uh, you could tell that it was very emotional. Jerry Briscoe uh, pretty much sat on his thoughts for about six or seven hours, and um, then you know put out a really helpful, heartfelt statement. Uh, you know. It was obviously a very tough day for that fa- extended family, and I know they were very close. So I, I give them my condolences. And uh, you know, the one thing you could say about Pat is, you know, as he says, he did it his way. He lived his life. He had a wonderful life, very successful in so many different ways. And uh, so, um, you, you know, you're only given one of these, uh, knock on wood. And um, so I think he, he did pretty good, especially considering the challenges that he had uh, in his life. So, um, so you know, talk, thinking about that, talking about that and um, listening to the tributes pour in and then flick on AEW. Uh, uh, my son says, oh, Sting is an AEW. So I was, I, I, I was not watching it, but I was DVRing it. So I rewound to the uh, – Sting debut and um, very happy for Steve Borden. Uh, good guy uh, has a lot to offer. Not necessarily in the ring as a performer uh, with the injuries, but has a lot to offer. Uh, the dressing room has a lot to offer as somebody who uh, the media will take seriously. Uh, you know, Chris Jericho really was the the main media guy. Jim Ross, I guess, to a lesser extent. Uh, Cody 
to a lesser extent than that, uh, as far as, you know, mainstream media, you know, hell, the Young Bucks and Cody and Omega over like a million bucks in the wrestling media. But in the mainstream media, a guy like Sting brings huge value uh, to a product. And it was kind of cool to see him back on TNT after 18 plus years and and to see Tony Schiavone, of all people, kind of narrating the scene. So that was cool. So I said, I figured... I, and I swear to you, ladies and gentlemen, I knew nothing. I had no clue. I was as surprised as anybody who was watching. So if not for Sting debuting, I probably would not have watched that live. But I said, oh, okay, well, let's stay and watch. You know, I got the big match between Omega and um, and Moxley. They've been building up. Figured it was going to be a title change because Don Callis was there. Why would they fly him down if it wasn't going to be a title change? It's a shoot on, on what they say about um, – them being very very tight it's as much don is as much family to to kenny omega and vice versa as his parents are and vice versa so um so that is a shoot and i'm watching hoping for a good match figuring kenny was going to win because callus was there and all of a sudden uh things kind of exploded and um i did not know about it and i think that's cool as hell uh, my, I woke up this morning, my son came out down and he said, well, did you find anything out yet? I said, no. He said, why not? Well, first of all, I don't want to bother anybody. Nobody wants to tell me they're, they're, what's going on. And if they do, they'll tell me. You know, I, I've learned a little bit from that heat-seeking Ethan Page, uh, uh, 1990s uh, David Penzer. And I said, second of all, I'm interested to see where it's going. This is this is fun. Very rarely do I get to since, you know, Nitro ended and, you know, Kurt Angle got introduced at, at TNA and big things like that. Do I get to enjoy the ride and not know where it's going? So I got no clue where it's going. Uh, obviously, the possibilities are boundless. And um, I'm just uh, I'm strapping on my seatbelt. I think it's huge for impact. Potentially, it could be huge for for AEW. And uh, so that was how my day went. A crazy day. And um, and uh, so what a roller coaster of emotions and craziness. And um, uh, so but I got to say kudos to Don and Scott. Uh, What a huge opportunity this gives Impact Wrestling. Um, And uh, so, again, I'm excited for for where it's going. And uh, don't call me and ask me for spoilers because I got no clue. Nor do I want to know. So that was my Wednesday, and today is Thursday. And um, we put off Ken Shamrock for a week because I wanted to talk to the co-author of Pat Patterson's autobiography, Accepted. And that is my guest this week. So please welcome, as we talk Pat Patterson and tell his amazing life story, both behind the scenes and in front of the cameras, the co-author of Accepted. He's also the co-author of The Eighth Wonder of the World, the Andre the Giant story, which is on my Christmas list, that and the Patterson book. And his name is Bertrand Ebert. Ladies and gentlemen, as we mentioned a little earlier uh, this week, uh, being no exception to the past few weeks, month, um, we lost another great, uh, another person in this business, actually probably a person that uh, has more influence over this business in the last 50 years, I'd say, than other than anybody other than Vince McMahon. And we'll get into that. Um, I'm talking about Pat Patterson. And um, I actually got the honor of being able to have Pat Patterson and Jerry Briscoe at one of our Legends Fan Fest, CWF Legends Fan Fest here in Tampa. And I went through and booked him through, and he was accompanied by the 
man who co-authored his book, his autobiography called Accepted. And that man's name is Bertrand Ebert. Bertrand, welcome to the show. Sorry for your loss. Thank you for the invite. And that's the least I can do is make sure to, to tell that story one more time. So uh, just before we, we start uh, talking about Pat and um, his influence in the business and, and in many ways, you were telling me before we recorded this, it's being reported that he had passed of cancer and you wanted to correct the record on that. So go ahead, please. Yes. I mean, uh, what actually happened is that uh, Pat came to Montreal quickly, you know, finally, in his words, after the summer, he, he made a quick uh, trip to Montreal in September. And then when he went back to Florida, Sylvain Grenier was like a son to him. They, they were looking to find a place where Pat would not be alone and he, he would have like uh, care 24 hours a day for, from nurses and all that. Mm-hmm. As he had been battling uh, some dementia and some Alzheimer's for a long, long time. And, and it was not safe anymore for him to be alone all the time especially with the pandemic and all that. Mm-hmm. So when they went there, they, they had tests done and they discovered he had a blood clot in his liver. And that blood clot led to a liver failure pretty quickly when he started to get uh, really bad. And it, he came into the hospital on November 27th and passed away last morning. That liver failure led by the blood clot, I mean, met probably explained why he was losing so much weight in the past few months, apparently. And uh, what they discovered also is that he may have had uh, a big mass in his lung that they suspected to be cancer, but they never got around to testing it because what they found in the liver made no point in in trying to be aggressive about anything else as there was nothing that can be done about the the blood clot there and, and the issue it would ultimately lead to so he may have have it but they never uh, made the test so as i mentioned in the when i was introducing you uh i booked um pat only through you i don't think i ever talked to pat until i got to see him uh at the hotel that we were at um and and you accompanied him so obviously you were more than just a co-author uh talk to me about how you got to know pat patterson and when uh you know when uh, Sylvain Grenier and Marc Blondin, they did a t- television pilot for wrestling in Montreal with local talent, and uh, Sylvain being so close to, to Pat, he wanted uh, Pat to, to, to look over what we had. And I was the, the sp- let's call it booker, writer, producer uh, of everything about those four hours of television as far as picking talent, putting matches together and all that. So we ended up having a production meeting with Pat. So just that, that's pretty awesome. But <laughs> yeah, that, I'd say so. <laughs> that led to us uh, doing the actual show, but also Pat got a special uh, authorization from uh, Vince uh, to be a part of those show and, and to resurrect his uh, Rêve du Québec character that he did in, in Montreal, where he did a brunch at Piper's Pit type show and to run that uh, on the show. And I ended up, writing producing it with him uh so which also was a lot of fun and quite amazing uh and you know we ended up talking a lot on that day and you know we were talking about he had just read our mad dogs midgets and screwjob books about montreal and there was that old 
part about him in there and he thought it was pretty good and you know really uh, represented uh, his career so and he was like oh they want me to write a book i'm already on my second writer nothing going on and you know it's boring. I have to explain everything to him. At least with you, you know, I can talk to you about Silvio Sanson, my first promoter in Montreal, and I can talk to you about Dolph Ziggler. And, you know, you get it without having me having to do a whole explanation on who, who's who. Sure. Oh, left it at that. But, you know, just a couple of weeks later, he just called me out of the blue telling me that he was going to give my name and that he wanted to do his book with me. So, okay. But, you know, you don't expect things to necessarily happen so from there pat pushed for it and i ended up being flown to uh, stanford to do the interview with kevin dunn uh to do the book obviously i was on i was not their first choice and you know they they thought pat had picked somebody that was just going to be a wrestling guy that couldn't do the the book they wanted to do about his life they wanted to be more, more the fact that he was gay is the relationship with louis and that's what pat wanted too he didn't want to just do a wrestling book, he wanted to do a book about his life. But, you know, the fact that I knew the wrestling part of it, you know, was a big plus because I could keep up with Pat. So, sure. you know, it's Titans time. So, uh, you know, they told us, uh, oh, we're going to make a decision next week. We have to meet a, a few more people. And like seven months later, <laughs> Pat, Pat's calling me. What's going on with the book? I don't know. Nobody gave me a call. I, I pretty much think it, it's not going to be me. He said, wait a minute. So uh, two days later, he calls me. He said, they're going to call you for one more interview. So somebody uh, that at the time uh, was one of the uh, director or uh, on, on one of the shows called me. And we did an interview over the phone. The day after, Pat calls me and tells me, you get the you, you just got the job. They're going to call you tomorrow. And the day after, uh, somebody called me and uh, we, we got started, uh, basically. So it was basically from that point, more or less six months or so uh, of uh, uh, working session with going over tons and tons of questions, me uh, doing some uh, uh you know, writing of everything he was telling us afterwards. So, you know, we met like we, we <laughs> at the beginning, Pat wanted to do it every week, uh, four times a week. But, you know, after the first week, we, we, we settled that, you know, once every two days while he was in town was enough because, you know, he would get tired and, you know, it's hard to examine your life. And, you know, you, I was asking him about very, a lot of details that you know he, he not necessarily remind he remembered so he was a little bit pissed at some point during that process you know but he was so cool about it so you know because it was back and forth back and forth and uh, at some point you know he was at the pay-per-view and i get a text message and he's like well, what do you think of the show so he's sitting at gorilla and he's texting me to get my opinion of someone sitting in the living room so I thought, okay, well, we're getting to some sort of relationship there where we respect <laughs> each other's uh, opinion about things. And, and, and it just went so well after that. And he, he wanted somebody who could three hours with him and then go have a drink just for the heck of it. And and that led sometimes, the getting the drink led to the best stories. You know, the sure. story he would only tell me once. Uh, as as we went along, you know, as some stories I heard dozens of times, but there's some stories like uh, the, how he got to reconcile with his dad that I only heard once. 
and, and that changed like the whole book at that point wow. as I was pretty advanced and I had to change the whole books because now I was getting that incredible story about how he reconciled with his dad and that's the only time he ever told me that so wow. that's the kind of stuff that that, that happened and, and it really bonded me and then you know he he got excited when he, it got published and then said oh we should do shows and we should do promote the book I want people to read it. So that's how I started to get him some booking as people were trying to get in touch to book Pat for a convention just like yours. And, you know, the ball got rolling. And, you know, the, the time we did yours, I mean, we had just been on the cruise. I believe we just came back from the cruise uh, of Jericho. We did the big event right after that. And the big event, I believe, was his last event. So, I mean, oh. were the, the last few conventions that we actually did. Obviously knew Pat very well. You were a wrestling fan that grew, uh, grew up in Montreal. Uh, so you obviously were very familiar with him. What was the thing that surprised you the most that you found out in the process of writing this book with Pat? We all know Pat from a, from a certain distance or from the image, but it was like he was such a funny man. <laughs> yeah. Nothing is serious for Pat, almost to a fault, I would say. And maybe that's why he was able to survive the business because he never took anything for tragic. Nothing was ever tragic or was never an issue. Whatever happens, happens. And, you know, it, did we get a good laugh out of it? Yeah, that's good enough. So that's one thing that was very surprising because you expect people who were that involved in the business to be totally consumed by the business and, and live, breathe and eat and, and just think about the business. And, you know, I don't think he was ever completely like that. And he kept saying that Louis kept him grounded, of not, you know, getting caught up and being a wrestling star and having to go to work all the time. And that, that Louis, you know, reminded him that there was real life also and that wrestling was just a job. And, and, and that kept him, as in his own word, grounded. Tell me about the relationship with him and Louis. I believe 40 years they were together. Um a marriage uh, in this business is tough, uh, and it, I'm sure, and we'll get into it a little bit, you know, I'm, t I'm sure, you know, being gay back in the 60s and 70s was, you know, a totally different world in 2020, and that's a good thing. Um, but so so I'm sure, you know, it wasn't easy, but um, what a relationship, man, 40 years in the wrestling business. I, I have, you know, 27 with my wife, and she's, you know, she's an angel, so I can't even imagine. Uh what, what what did you learn about that relationship that you that that made it work in such a unique environment? Any any couple who can stay together forty years as as my respect. Yes, he, he would still speak of Louis with so much love, uh, and, and Louis was so important with with him, you know, because Pat can be rough a little bit around the edges at at times, and, and you know everybody fell in love with Louis. You know, Louis became Pat's best asset at some point because ah. Louis was the life of the party. He could talk to anybody about anything. Uh, he would be an awesome cook. So they would throw those party and Louis would cook and, and, and they build up a stellar reputation uh, as they move from territory to territory to the point where by the time when he went to Minnesota, I mean, Vern Gagne wasn't too MNR with the idea of a gay superstar. Was like, when 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 are we going to eat at Louis? Because 
uh, Nick Bockwinkel had, had uh, sold Verna on Pat uh, and Louis uh, way in advance before he even got there. So that that's the, the accepting part. You know, as he moved around and he, his reputation became so stellar, I mean, the wrestling business is a lot of things, but they will never turn away from somebody who can be a star, draw money, and work hard and, and, and provide for the business, no matter what they do. The fact that he was gay ended up, you know, he, they would hide in plain sight. You kind of knew, but you never knew. But if you were close enough, you kind of knew. But at the same time, they never tell, you know, that kind of game a little bit. So it is what it is. And, and you know, they, and there was plenty of stories of Ray Steven, you know, bringing Pat you know, and then bring, bringing Pat around to, to, to meet two girls because Ray wanted to have one of the girls and he would, like, force Pat on the other girls so just that he could sell. There was enough of ambiguity out there to, to make people doubt if they thought they knew. So that's a little bit how they got around in the different places. Was he proud? I, I imagine he was very proud, but talk to me about him you know, finally deciding to tell his story um, and, and and come out as, as what people are, are, have called the first openly gay uh, wrestler in the professional wrestling business. Um, talk about the pride he had in that, and, and especially after everything that they had, to, yes, the ducking and the diving and, you know, uh, is he or isn't he kind of stuff that he probably lived with uh, most of his career. I mean, that was very liberating. I saw a man who was fighting with me about, you know, uh, talking about Louis in the book as his boyfriend and telling me, well, I never called him that. I don't like that word. I, he was my friend. That's what I called him. He was my friend. It's like, okay. So, you know, I wanted to keep Pat's voice. So we went with friend in the book, uh, and never used the word boyfriend. And then, you know, we're promoting the book and he's on television here locally and he's calling Louis his boyfriend. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. Well, something happened. It's good. It's all positive. Yeah. But clearly, I mean, it was very liberating to, you know, I said, I can go out now. I don't have to put a baseball cap. I, I don't have to ask myself if people are going to ask questions, if they see Pat Patterson going into a gay bar. It, you know, he, he, he put that a lot of that pressure on him because let's face it. I mean, it, it, it was known. Uh, but like he said, you know, maybe they knew, they thought they knew, but I never said it. So for him to say it, that was the big thing, to actually verbalize it in public to people. And and that, that had to be that had to be tough because you know like we said you know it's so great that the the, the world has progressed the way it has, but <laughs> let's face it, 60s, 70s, even 80s, you know that that was a stigma. It was a huge stigma, especially for a you know for somebody who was uh, a, a, such a star uh, in local territories. So you know in San Francisco. You know, he couldn't just, you know, get out of a cab and go into a gay bar, or go, you know, or, or walk down the street and him and Louie holding hands. He was, you know, they, you know, millions of people watched him on television every every Saturday. So it had to be liberating, I, I can imagine. Very liberating uh, and, and amazing. You know, I think he had the last few years, he was very happy because like he told me, I mean, I did everything I could do and more that I could dream of. And to that last thing, to be free of that weight that he had put on himself in the in, in all of his life, basically, was, uh, you know, I think it uh, completed his life. 
When did he start booking in the territory days? I know he was um, a booker in WWF, and we'll get to that in the the, the start of the rock and wrestling craziness that uh, that WWF became huge. But um, when did he start booking in the territory days? I read today when I was researching that he – the first time I ever saw Pat Patterson was in 77 in uh, championship wrestling from Florida. You know, I was 11, so – but a great wrestler and a great promo – and a great heel uh, back in the day. I saw also saw that he was booking at the time he was here, which I didn't know he was booking back in the territory days. Do you know when he started booking? Uh, he started with Shire. Somewhere along the way with Shire, I mean, he became his right-hand man, and he learned uh-huh. had to learn through Roy Shire. And by the end of, of his run there, I mean, he, he was the one who left. But, you know, he was basically running the business at that point. When he moved to Florida, he was supposed to be booking with uh, Johnny Valentine, but it didn't, you know, he didn't mesh too well with Valentine. And, you know, so he ended up going and just be a wrestler in uh, Minnesota because uh, Ray Stevens was there, was there. So they wanted him there uh, when it didn't work out for him in Florida being in the office. Um, and after that, you know, when the Vern thing was coming to an end, I mean, Vince Sr. wanted him after having met him at uh, NWA convention uh, a few years back. And, you know, he was almost right away, he's into an agent-type position behind the scene and then move into being a commentator. And, and by the time he was on the road as an agent and uh, George Scott was let go, I mean, he ended up being pulled from the road to be full-time with Vince in the office. And that the rest, as they say, is history did he have a specific job title at that point or was he just vince's right hand man oh he became an executive vice president of uh, talent relation i believe uh you know he like he said I didn't, I didn't know what an executive vice president was supposed to be doing i just knew the wrestling he, he, he for 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 a time you know he, he was even like too shy to ask his secretary to to do some of the work that she was supposed to be doing for him as he was trying to figure out i mean he, he left montreal with uh, a few words of english in his pocket and 20 dollars. so you know he, he didn't have much school experience either so that everything he did he learned as he went along and but he was just the savant about wrestling you know uh, i've never spoke to anyone who could wrap my, my mind about what i think i know about wrestling like pat can could I, it was like at that point i was like okay i'm not sure i got it but you know thanks for the, the information or or the nugget I, i'll try to digest that and, and turn it into something uh it, it was so instinctive in him uh, how to to get that crowd emotion and and what they loved and you know so it it's, uh, it was an amazing experience all the way through. Yeah, I would say that, um, and I'm not just saying this because I got you or because he just passed. I'd, I'd say that the boot camp match with uh, Sergeant Slaughter probably, after all the blood and guts and ECW and all these things that we've seen and the flying and the craziness, I would say that match still holds up as one of the best matches I ever saw. Um, so uh, yeah, he was he was he was fantastic at what he did. What did he know? What was on the line at WrestleMania? The story apparently is that really Vince 
went all in and I hate to steal that because that's another promotion now, but, um, but they eventually went all in and, and, and if WrestleMania was a failure, uh, he might not have had been able to keep the company and might've gone out of business. Um, uh, did, did Pat realize that at any point? Well, we have that in the book. He said, you know, he, Vince told him, Pat, if that doesn't work, we'll have to find a new job. Really? That that's how they roll. I mean, at that point, you're not. It's not like today where you know there's a legacy or there's the. It was like okay, we got to make this work. You know, it was still the wrestling business, uh, and it came with the the risk, and they had the vision to go further with it. He created the Royal Rumble, which to this day, and anybody who listens to this podcast knows it, is my favorite match of the entire year. Um, what was his, was it just he needed a match and he came up with a concept and it happened to work? Or what was his thought process psychology-wise about a match like that? I mean, it, he always thought about the Battle Royal and said, like, okay, somebody came up with that or somebody came up with the cage match. And it was like, in his mind, he could see the concept of all the guys coming in one at a time with the music and, and, and in. He had a hard time explaining that to Vince or selling it to Vince, as as he would say. Vince would tell me, you know, it's no good, it's never going to work, and and all that stuff. But during a meeting with Ebersol, uh, leading up to the first World Rumble on on USA, uh, they were looking for that idea to to kick off the show, and and like Vince, in almost in despair, will tell Pat, "Well, tell him about your stupid idea." So Pat loved to say, you know, first off, it was not stupid. <laughs> it's not a stupid idea. It will work. <laughs> and then he pitched it to Ebersol. And Ebersol right away saw the possibility for television. You know, he called it, I believe, was uh, uh, that they were uh, run-ins that were uh, allowed by the rules. Uh, so, you know, he, he already saw the entrance, the music, and all that, like, just like Pat would. So from there, I mean, they they told Pat, okay, just go and do it, and and, and he put it together. And he, he said, you know, it was kind of hard to explain to the guys what what he wanted out of the show. So that may explain why that first rumble is good, but maybe not as good as what it was bound to become. Um, so you know that that's how it happened, and and you know the concept took off. And personally, I mean, what I love. Is I can watch a Royal Rumble from 1990 or 91 with my kids. They don't know necessarily who are some of those guys, but they don't know who's coming out next. And sure. it still works. The the pop of the crowd for the stars, it still works. Even like 20 years later, the the match you can those matches age very well. So I mean, I think it was an amazing concept, and I think that's just makes him an immortal. I mean, every year at the Royal Rumble, they're going to be talking about Pat. So uh, did he, up until this year, was he consulted for every Royal Rumble or he had had he stepped back from that recently? Uh, he's He's been a consultant pretty much. The Royal Rumble this year was the last show he attended, which is kind of fitting. Wow, yes. He was less and less involved in, in the creative meeting except for sitting there at the last meeting of production. It's my understanding. He would pitch his two cents, but you know he he had no uh, horse in the battle, as they say. So he, you know, he would just pitch his two cents. He would not fight for anything or anyone anymore, uh, as you know he had pretty much you know 
put a cross on it that he wasn't there often enough to 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 get involved and and put a lot of energy in, in winning a point or making a point. Sure, you know, hey, I'll just throw it out there. If they like it, great. If not, I'll, I'll go home. <laughs> a couple more questions on Pat. I know your time is limited. Uh, you're doing a lot of this, I'm imagining. Um, a lot of old school wrestlers, and I'll, I don't want to pick on him, but I'll say Jim Cornette is a recent example, have found it very hard to uh, evolve in this business. Um, you know, what Pat's did and in 1970s and what he booked in the 1980s is not what is on TV in 2020. Um, he was somehow able to embrace it. He was, I understand he was a big fan of Ricochet. He was a big fan of Dolph Ziggler. Um, he never really seemed to show any resentment that, you know, oh, you know, this isn't the business that he used to be and there's no kayfabe and all that. How was he able to do that? I mean, he just wanted it to be a good show. That's his main complaint. When he was complaining about things, yeah, there was too many flips, but it was like, where's the emotion? Where's the emotion that I want to show? I want to care for it. I don't care. It's all, They're doing the same thing over and over again. That was his main issue with the product today, in recent years at least. But he would still find, like, I remember the last wrestler he, 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 he was very high on was Chad Gable. He had just seen him, and he was like, he had idea about what move, the way he should work, and and all that. But like once again, I mean, he was not involved enough to have any, any kind of influence. But he he had become a huge fan of Chad Gable, and, and nobody can deny that that except for the fact that he's short, and they made a whole gimmick out of it. But he is an amazing talent. So I mean, he was he wanted to contribute. He wanted guy to move on, but it was always about you know they're not showing me enough emotions. I mean, that, that's 100% true and uh, way more than the flip-flop and fly or stuff like that is is is, is you need to connect with the, the, the audience at a level that uh, it's hard to connect with right now because of the way the business is structured. Was he intimidated by Vince? I understand Vince is a very intimidating guy and uh, uh, or was he comfortable enough that he would just say how he felt and didn't care if Vince barked at him? Yeah, pretty much he didn't care. But, you know, he also understood one very important thing, you know, and I think his uh, there, there was, his favorite uh, analogy was that, you know, he owns the ice cream store. So if he wants to sell chocolate and only chocolate, even though I would like to sell some vanilla, I may not just be able to do it. <laughs> so he, 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 yeah. he just accepted the fact that, you know, he could sell his point, present the idea. And hope for the best. And if it didn't pan out or if Vince didn't buy it or Vince didn't believe it, he would not die on that hill for it either. But he would like, you know, would say, well, I don't think I don't think it. I don't think you're right, you know, but th there's tons of story. The old Rey Mysterio winning the championship at WrestleMania. That's Pat pushing that idea in Vince's mind. He, he was never scared of telling Vince you're wrong and you should think about that he said sometimes it was just a, uh, you just had to put the seed in so that Vince could think about it Talk to me as we wrap it up, and then I want to hit on Andre real quick. And and by the way, the both books are available, and all your books are available on Amazon or wherever you find books online for sure. Uh, my way, 
he loved karaoke, as most people know, and that was always his go-to song. And, and other than the obvious, which the lyrics of the song, what, what did that song mean to him? What was what was what, what was he feeling in his heart when he sang that song to end his karaoke uh, adventures? To to him, I mean, it was his life. And in the book, we ended up using the some verse of the 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 the, the song on every chapters. And you can apparently you cannot do that without actually paying some royalties. And you know, I'm talking to the WWE guy, I'm talking to the publisher, and they're like, "Well, we don't really have a budget for that. It's going to be expensive, especially it's my way." And so I'm like, "Okay, because we have that idea working together, me and and I'm like, I'll go back to Pat, and I'm like, okay, they don't have the budget for it. it it's not going to happen." And Pat said, "Well, you know." Ask Vince, and if Vince say yes, okay. If he says no, it's no. Okay. So we kept on working and moving forward with the project and all that. And at no point after that, anyone ever mentioned anything to me, but the the, the lyrics stayed there. And we had the whole thing in the, the page of the book about the royalties and all that about my way. And, and it just happened. You know, there was an extra budget put on, on it by Vince for that in the book. And I think they released a video with some Sinatra lyrics also. So they obviously paid for that. So, you know, they know what it means. It, it for, for Pat, that was his life. You know, I did it my way. And it, it you know, he, that's all he wanted to sing almost. Yeah, he say, he, he sang it at, uh, as he... Uh... Uh, right before he finished up with our fan fest, and again, yeah. it gives me goosebumps just to, to to imagine that I got to see him sing. It, it, it seems kind of trite, you know. The guy's an amazing wrestler, an amazing booker, and and as a as a wrestling fan, I'm just so excited to say, hear him sing "My Way" live because I you could tell how much it meant to him and 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 how emotional he got when he sang it uh, very proudly uh, when he did it with us, and I'm sure most of the time. Hey, I you you've done in thirty minutes. You've uh, done an amazing job of uh, of, of t- talking about the life of Pat Patterson, and you know I could talk to you for probably hours and tell stories, but your time is valuable. So um, I did want to hit real quick. Um, you, by the way, the book is accepted uh, by Pat Patterson and Bertrand Ebert, and um, I'm looking forward to reading it. And I would suggest that you do too, because I think we just—I'm sure—we just tipped the iceberg of what's in the book in, in 30 yes. minutes of talking. And, and and the most amazing thing is that what I discovered: yes, he was a great wrestling mind, but he was also an amazing person. So okay. that's all. It- so you wrote uh, the Eighth Wonder of the World earlier this year. Um, uh, another book that uh, I need to to get. I need to uh, tell my wife what I want for Christmas, and <laughs> books are going to be on the list. Hey, um, real quickly before you go, what 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 did you find out about Andre that uh, that he was able to do what he did, which is go from town to town, state to state, territory to territory, uh, as a very large guy, and you know, in small airplanes and small cars for the most part. How, how was he able to do that? And it, it, was it something that he loved or was it something just that um, that that he, he needed to make a living? He, he loved the traveling. He loved being in the dressing room with the boys because in, in the dressing room with the boys, he was himself. There was no second look. There was no, uh, you know, 
what, who's that freak or I want to touch him or, or anything of that nature like he would have to go through uh, just traveling in between town so he loved being there so he loved traveling and seeing new countries when he was a kid in France that one was one of the things he wanted to do was to travel and at the size he was I mean unless you find a job that will get you to travel I mean it's it's very, it would have been very hard. So uh, on that level, I mean, he, he just loved it. And, and Andre was a very interesting character. And, and in all of our books, that's why I was talking about the person behind Pat Patterson. Uh, and we have the same thing in the Maurice Maddox Vachon story, the biography I also wrote with Pat Laprade, is we want to know who's that person. You know, because the character is cool, we can, you know, everybody... Well, a little bit of research can track the character, but to track the person, to understand who was Andre Rusimov, that was the challenge. Talk to the family, talk to people he was close to, and and get the things that Andre would talk about uh, after the second bottle of wine, you know? <laughs> uh, I would speak with Mean Gene, uh, who, who gave us quite a few uh, interesting notes before passing on, on Andre. And, and it it was so important to, to get to talk to a maximum of people. And and we've been so blessed because the, the reviews have been almost too good <laughs> uh, because you're working on the book and then the book gets published and you're, you, you hope that everybody's going to like it, but it's been so good that we're very, very proud of that work that we have put out something that is definite about the life of Andrei the Giant and Andrei Rusinov, who is maybe one of the most important character player uh, in the history of wrestling. Uh, and, and, you know, as people are going to pass, pass on, like Pat, I mean, there's not going to be a lot of people left to actually travel the road with him and were his friends. So, uh, was important to 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 put that to paper my one of my favorite movies of all time is the princess bride any good princess bride stories uh in that my god i mean there are many uh and, and there's a whole chapter about the princess bride and and you know some of my friends were like well i never thought there could be a chapter about princess bride because you know the movie's two hours so you expect it to be done but that's the movie set is this, the place where Andre found something similar to a wrestling dressing room, where they were there for a long period of time. It's not like a TV show. You're there for weeks. You know, you're just yeah. not like there for two days. You're there for weeks. You're with the same people, the same crew all the time. And, and you build that family atmosphere and, and people stop looking at you like you're a freak. And, you know, so he loved of the fact that you know people on the set were like a wrestling dressing room so i mean the timing of that princess bride came probably a, a year or two too late uh, for andres to 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 really look forward to moving on into a, a movie career where he could really you know surprise a lot of people because he's very good in that movie and he worked very hard to get all those lines done and and, and, and to a point where, you know, the director says they never had to add, have him loop anything uh, wow. in production. So uh, they, they gave him homework and he did it. Uh, and he did an amazing job in that movie. And I was funny when the book was released, I had someone at work was like, well, I thought he was just a big actor. I didn't know he was a wrestler. I love the Princess Bride. So putting into a generation of people who've watched The Princess Bride and don't even know Andre was a wrestler. 
So it's it's important to have that story in a book somewhere. So that's that was the motivation. That's one of those movies where everything just came together, you know, the casting and the story and the uh, and the comedy. And I mean, it just it, it's it's it, I saw something early in the pandemic, uh, uh, that, you know, in like April that they were going to do a Princess Bride. Re, uh, uh, they were going to do like a uh uh, redo the, the the movie and i was like no you can't redo that movie i don't care how i don't care who you hire the greatest cast in hollywood you cannot redo that movie and it turned out that they just were doing it um they were doing it like online you know uh to you know to raise money uh for um the uh the, the covid and so like you know they'd have different actors read the lines from their own home you know on a zoom call but yeah. um i was horrified I was horrified at the fact that they would that you anybody would ever consider, and I hope nobody ever considers that is one movie that can't be redone. Um, hey, um, well, I got I got my uh, I'm got my Christmas list uh, uh, pretty much covered on on these two books. You've been great. Um, appreciate everything you did to get Pat to our little fan fest, and um, and and look forward to reading both books. And I'll, I'll I'll keep in touch with you and let you know, you know, uh, my thoughts. But I'm sure, judging from from uh, the, the the little bit that we got here in 40 minutes or so uh, that uh, it's going to be very enjoyable. And um, again, my condolences to you. And um, uh, I'm sure, you know, like you said, every if, 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 if no other time, and I'm sure WrestleMania will be very emotional too, but if no other time, the Royal Rumble, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if they actually named it the Pat Patterson Royal Rumble. Um, I mean, so, because in the book, Pat tells the story of one of the last idea he had about the Rumble. He wanted them to create the Pat Patterson Cup and give the, the trophy, like the Stanley Cup in hockey, a trophy that would kind of look like that, where you could put champagne and have all the names sure. of all the winners and all the participants on, on the ring. He wanted something like that for the World Rumble. So I think that'd be amazing to create the Pat Patterson Cup for the winner of the Rumble and go back to the past winners and add them to the, the bowl and add the pictures and I think it'd be an amazing, amazing homage for Pat. Yeah. And as much as as much as um as as Vince could be, you know, could could be hard headed, uh, or so I'm told. Um, I've never met the guy, but uh, I, I I know that that family has a special place in their heart for for Pat. And I would, be, if I was a betting man, I would bet that uh, in January when the Royal Rumble comes around, that there will be a um, a Pat Patterson Cup there, and uh, it would be a very fitting. Um, fit, uh, ceremony way to 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 remember him uh for as many years as the company remains in business i hope so bertrand ebert thank you very much for hopping on again sorry for your loss and um uh the books are the eighth wonder of the world and accepted uh one story about one book about andre the giant another book about the life of pat patterson and two um People in this business that are, are very missed and were huge uh, to the uh, evolution and the the growth of this uh, business through the 60s, 70s, 80s, and then with Pat the 90s and moving forward. So, um, uh, very very happy that you were able to hop on uh, under trying circumstances, and um, we'll, uh, let's stay in touch for sure. Of course, thank you. 
want to thank Bertrand Ebert for job hopping on in uh, less than you know 24 hours, about 24 hours after the death of Pat Patterson was announced. And um, like you said, amazing life that he lived. Can't wait lived. I can't wait to read uh, both books. Accepted uh, about Pat Patterson's life and um, the eighth wonder of the world about Andre the Giant's life. Love me, the Princess Bride. Do not ever. Redo the Princess Bride. I don't care if you got every Academy Award winning actor in the history of mankind going back to the first. Do not redo the Princess Bride. That is my warning. You have been warned. Um, Next week, we're going to go back and have Ken Shamrock on the world's most dangerous man. We'll talk to him. If you have any questions for Ken, be sure to hit me up on Twitter at David Penzer, all one word. And um, we will talk to Ken and find out about his amazing career. I started doing the research and man, there's a whole section on wrestling and a whole section on MMA. What a crazy ride that he that he lived. And um, and you wouldn't know it too. nicest guy in the world. Uh, you know, he could be, he, you know, he could be one of those guys that has a little bit of an attitude. I wouldn't blame him. Uh, uh, first, uh, ever inductee of the, uh, of the UFC hall of fame, recent inductee of the impact hall of fame. I'm not sure if the other hall of fame is going to have him in. And I don't think he probably even really cares, but, um, but, uh, yeah, what a story. I can't wait to talk to him about it, but you know, you, you could see, you could say he could have an attitude and deservedly so, and nothing, nothing. Nicest guy in the world, like like talking to the guy that just broke in two days ago. So um, we're looking forward to talking to the world's most dangerous man next week on this podcast that we call City Ringside. If you enjoy it, be sure to spread the word. Follow me on Twitter once again at David Penzer. Uh, tell your friends and neighbors. And if you can, you could subscribe and have it miraculously drop every Monday morning from now until the end of time. Until next week, this is David Penzer still sitting ringside. Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. Also, make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. I'm Jerry Petock, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out RadioInfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com. <laughs>